unfortunately, once you know the light comes on and you start flying the D, you realize that there should be literally to this day there should be three hundred of them out there right now. The, oh, t- it was hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. 100%. It was absolutely the most lethal aircraft that CAG eight had on the flight deck. That Scott, cruise. you can replay that every few seconds because our audience right. will love that. So yeah. That's right. On the flight deck, crews are now manning for the next launch. It's time to clear the flight deck and catwalks. Stand well clear of all jet blasts, prop parks, and exhausts. Time to start up the go aircraft. Let's start them up. I'm Dave Baronic, call sign bio. I was an F-14 Rio and Top Gun instructor, and I'm one of your hosts for the F-14 Tomcast. The U.S. Navy retired the F-14 Tomcat in 2006, and of course, there had to be a last Tomcat squadron CO. We talked to him today about what it was like turning off the lights in the last Tomcat ready room. And I'm Craig Snyder, call sign crunch. I was an F-14 pilot, also a Top Gun instructor, and I'm your other host here on the F-14 Tomcast. Our guest today is former F-14 pilot and retired commander, Jim Callsign Puck Howe. He was the last commanding officer of Fighter Squadron 31, the Tomcatters, the very last of the fighter squadrons. He's here today to talk to us about the highlights of the sunset and the sundown of the F-14 community, and he has some great stories for us today. So welcome, Puck. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, guys. Bio Crunch, excited, and I appreciate you having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's great having you here. So, so Puck, let's, let's get started. Uh, well, hopefully nobody can hear my dogs barking in the background here, but, uh, <laughs> hey, so, so Puck, tell us where you, wh- let's get started with the basics. We always like to ask our guests where everybody's from, their background, where are you from, how you got commissioned, how you got into naval aviation and how'd you get uh, into F-14s? Well, I'm, I'm, uh, my family's originally from Pittsburgh, uh, but we moved around a lot. My dad was an executive with a steel company, appropriately enough. And uh, I was actually, I went to a couple high schools, but graduated from high school in Iowa. And when I was in high school, uh, you may have seen the movie, The Right Stuff, that came out. And I thought that was about the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And so uh, I was like, I want to be an astronaut. I think that'll be a ton of fun. Did a little research and found that uh, the Naval Academy was, and uh, I will say still is, the number one uh, source for the astronauts uh, in our program. So I worked hard to try to get into Annapolis. I was fortunate enough to gain entrance to the academy. And so in 1985, I headed off to the Naval Academy with the goal of someday flying fighters and and being an astronaut. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So you you got into, uh, so you just picked fighters. You were number one in the class or something like that. Yours is a boring story of success, right? It was, uh, obviously (laughs) it was, it was competitive as you guys know, but, uh, you know, anyone who goes to Pensacola, I think, uh, you know, my roommate wanted P3s. He was a P3 guy. His dad was a P3 guy, but uh, that never appealed to me. Flying off a carrier was what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And uh, it was while I was flying off carriers that uh, my goals about being an astronaut changed because the, the life of a test pilot wasn't the way it was during the, the right stuff days. And what I found out was that, you know, the best pilots that we had in the Navy were Top Gun guys. So that's when I changed my goals and decided that Top Gun was the route I wanted to go. That's right. Yeah. And you went through the class in, if I remember right, like about 94, 90, no, no, 97. 97. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was one of the first classes that went in the SFTI program that uh, after uh, we'd moved from Miramar, I, I went, I did the uh, ground school when I was a JON32 with U Crunch. Yeah. Um, you know, went and served coffee in the back of the room uh, while Bear and, and Smut went through the course and uh, and had a great time. But, uh, you know, that wasn't my turn. So I waited uh, a year and a half and then went out in 97. But Top Gun had just moved, which is a shame because that beautiful building they had in Miramar. Um, and so uh, we were one of the first few classes to go through while after it moved to Fallon. And ironically, we ended up doing our 1v1 dead out in Miramar. So. We got yeah. back in the old Top Gun spaces anyway. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. cool. So now, you, uh, I know that, uh, you, well, you and I were in VF-32 together. Yeah. Uh, my first cruise, your second cruise. But uh, wh- how about, aside from that, what squadrons were you in? You are VF-32 and then what? Uh, I went from VF-32. I was a RAG instructor at VF-101 for three years. And if you remember, um, my pilots of my generation, the 89-90 group, 
we were uh, very delayed going through flight school. Uh, yeah. I, I had a six month wait to start uh, T2s. I had a six month wait to start A4s. I had a year wait to start uh, F-14 training at Oceana. I was stashed at fighter wing one in, in the ready room uh, there. So I, I ended up starting VF-101 as a cat one as a frock lieutenant. And yeah. I was not alone. All the guys that were 89 or 90 were in the same boat. So as a result, I never got a super J.O. tour. I went straight from being a rag instructor to a baby department head in VF2. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So I did I did a three-year tour there, and I was I did all four departments. I was admin. I was safety, admin ops, and maintenance, which was great because it was an awesome squadron. I worked for some of the best skippers I ever had there, and um, – I went from. I should have worn my VF2 shirt today. Then, okay. wow, the bullets. We were. It was a great squadron. We had. It was a big squadron too. We had twelve oh fours. So I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. Holy cow! It was that's like the days. That's like the early days that Streak and Lur were telling us about way back in our second episode. Yeah, and we had Tool Parish and uh, and Booger Berger were our CO and XO, and talk about two great humans. But um, okay, quick note about Booger because yeah. He came through the Top Gun class when I was already an instructor. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there watching his performance, which was incredible. And I'm going like, man, I'm glad I'm already here because there's not that many Rio slots. And he is good. Yeah, as you know, and he, he went to the staff after that. So he yeah, Booger and Tip O'Dowd was my roommate for both deployments. So Tip was an old Top Gun bro. And, yep. uh, you know, we're still close friends to this day. But um, we uh, – I did two deployments with VF2, and then I went from VF2. Uh, I was the OPSO at the Strike Fighter Weapons School in Oceana. Um, and that's just as they were merging uh, the old SWAT slant and Svizzle. So, right. so it was they were merging the two. So the Tomcats and Hornets were coming together. We ended up with three OPSOs at one point. And this is when Argo was the CO. And they're like, all right, we got to puck. This is not what you didn't send here to compete. Uh, we want to pull you out. So I ended up going to Newport from there. Um, and when I was at Newport, I was, I was selected to originally be the VF eight or VF two thirteen XL. And we were going to, I was going to take two thirteen out to, uh, to Lamore in the transition, but that ended up changing with the slate. So then I ended up at 31. Uh, there it is. Know, All right. That, it's amazing that you mentioned those details because, you know, I was going to ask you about, you know, I mean, we'll get to this other question I'm going to ask you, but I was okay. going to ask you about uh, become being the last Tomcat CO. And it's, it's like, you know, it's the wheel, the uh, finger of fate, the wheel of fortune, whatever you were planning to go to another squadron and then they change things change. I mean, yeah, so I, think that's, I think that's interesting for our audience about how things change like that, because over the years, there's just been a lot of guys who, we're scheduled to go one place and then something happened. Somebody got in a car accident, somebody got in trouble or whatever, and they have to uh, reshuffle the assignments and it just changes their lives. It did. It was, yeah. it was a quirk of fate. Actually what they ended up doing was uh, 213 was supposed to, uh, 31 was supposed to go out to the West coast and pick up F's and uh, the Red Cox were going to come from Lemoore and pick up E's. So, and 31 had been through the ringer. They'd done a lot of deployments in the last few years. And, and the, the CEO, my CEO, uh, Rick LeBranch, had made a, a very compelling argument. He's like, why don't you just leave 31 here? We'll pick up ease, leave the Red Cox in Lemoore, and they'll pick up Fs. That way you don't trans-pack, you're in a trans-country, both squadrons and all their people and everything else. And DC actually said, "Yeah, that's a that's a good idea." So that's well, how we listen to a good idea. We listen to a good idea. I'm so, writing that down. Right. Yeah, so <laughs> I was supposed to be. I'm not sure I believe that. Let's get Twig on the phone. Yeah. Let's call him in. <laughs> well, and, and that's how because uh, Tip O'Dowd was supposed to go to 31, but obviously, what once they go ease, yeah. <laughs> there isn't a seat for him. He's a Rio, and so uh, they're like, "Okay," and so I I switch with Tip. Interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. I mean, you had a very good operational career. You did a lot of great flying, even though it was delayed at at the start. Yeah. How well prepared did you feel uh, for being a a Tomcat squadron skipper? I I felt very prepared. Um, I can honestly say I never had a bad commanding officer. Uh, I was fortunate. I, you know, um, 
in 32, I had uh, Kerry Silver's dollar and I had uh, Kenny Floyd Pink, who were two of my favorite humans. And then uh, I was at VF 101, which is, it, you know, it's a who's who of great instructors. I mean, at that point, uh, we just shut Miramar down. So all the West Coast guys had come over to, uh, to Oceana, of course, unwillingly. But, um, you know, we were all single side. I know. And I get it. <laughs> you know, flying out there was pretty spectacular. But, uh, you know, VF 101 was we had 55 F-14s. We had 900 people. Um, it was quite an operation and, you know, we had great O fours. I had hack McMasters talking about some top gun guys. Hack was my opso. Um, uh, Paul Haas Butkus was my, uh, assistant opso. So these are the guys that trained me. As a, matter, as a matter of fact, hack was the one that put me through a little program to get me ready for top gun. He's like, you know, I wasn't flying much as a rag instructor. I'd just come back from deployment with 32. Um, I'd been off for a while. He's like, Hey, we got to get you ready. So he gave me a two week course with me and my Rio who I'd never flown with. Um, you know, we did, it, was, it wasn't like the days where two squadron mates went, uh, he, he was coming from a different squadron and, uh, Abdul and I got to fly together before we went out and it really helped a lot because we were ready when we went out there. But, um, yeah, I was absolutely prepared to be a CEO because, you know, after the, my rag experience being at VF2 with tool and, and booger, um, and then Slim Whitson was there at the end uh, and then working for Argo at the weapons school. I had had nothing but great examples on what really needed to be happening in order to operate a squadron. And as, as Kelly Barrett, Booger used to tell me, he's like, Puck, I've done your job. If you want me to do it again, I will. And so when I was his opso and his maintenance officer, I, I worked very hard to make sure he didn't need to do my job. <laughs> I've heard that one before. I've had yeah, your job. Like, I don't need I've to been do the maintenance it officer, and I can do yeah. it again if you'd like. <laughs> I, I have to say, uh, I'm pretty sure Slave Boy told me that one time. Yeah. too. <laughs> Slave Boy was my my next door roommate when we were XOs together. So we would we'd share many a, a story. That's right. Because because that's when I was in uh, when you were XO at 31. I was a department yeah. head at 213 that's at right. the time on that last deployment. Yeah. So so oh, let's talk good. about. I the, knew you guys had some overlap. So so crunch. Yeah. For yeah. We out. we've been overlapping for a long Forever. time here. Yeah. Now. Long yeah. time. Yeah, he probably owes me money. I don't know. I do. But maybe I owe you money. <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> probably. But uh, but yeah. So let's talk about that last deployment a little bit. So that last deployment, you were the XO. I was uh, I was the maintenance officer in two thirteen. You were the XO of thirty one. Yep. And I mean, let's be honest. We had uh, there was a little bit of there was a little bit of competition. It was healthy. I liked it. And uh, you guys were the one hundred series. We were the two hundred series. And uh, we had two Hornet squadrons, two C model Hornet squadrons. And we were out there when we got on station flying Iraq, we were flying every single day that we weren't pier side. And right. there was, the tempo was so stinking fast. Uh, I remember, I remember my experience. Can you talk? So, so talk what year was that? that what what kind of ops were they? Were they, was it OIF? Yeah. Yeah. That was 2000. Yeah. We were flying missions in Dropping bombs and everything, combat missions. Yeah. All right, well, yeah. that's amazing. Okay, so go ahead, Crunch. You were going to launch into a yeah, story. I was just going to say that. Um, so, so Puck, I remember some of that. Can you talk through some of the stories that you remember? Let's just throw some stories around from that last one. Sure. I think yeah. No, it was. It's, it's kind of amazing that last deployment. Yeah, it was. It was busy, as you remember. Um, we had we had a great CAG. We had uh, Bill Sizemore, Size, and, and Dan Dixon, who's one of my favorite humans in the world. I will say this, I'll brag on Dix, uh, another Top Gun instructor, by the way, but I think Dix is the best Hornet driving, or I'm sorry, Tomcat driving Hornet baby. Uh, that, that guy could really fly a Tomcat well. And for a kid that, you know, a guy that didn't grow up flying it, you know, being a Hornet baby, he uh, he understood how to fly the big fighter, which bio, as you understand, was a, was a unique skill set. Um, you know, as I like to say, the, the rudder pedals in a Tomcat are rudder pedals in a Hornet, they're brakes. And, uh, you know, for taxing, yeah. most of the guys don't understand what they are, but, uh, Dix absolutely did. And he flew Amazing. a really good Tomcat. Yeah. He was, yeah. but working for those guys was great. We were very busy. Um, and it, it was a healthy competition as you know, Twig, you know, I was XO Twig was the CEO. Twig is a very, a personality in an, a personality room. And there can be a lot. Of, you don't say. Yeah. So, <laughs> It was uh, it was always fun, and uh, you know, XO and CO are supposed to be a yin and yang. 
we just had two alphas in the room at the whole, all the time. And I will say, I think one of the things that really helped us is, you know, we had two drivers. One of the things I think may have hurt you a little crunch was that um, you had great Rios, but you had Rio, 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 Rio. So your senior drivers, you were probably the senior driver in your squadron. Uh, at one point, the, Tom Wagner was the senior yeah, pilot. Yeah. yeah, if you remember Tom, call yeah, yeah. Sachs. So, yeah, yeah, great, great dude who just retired last yeah. month, if I remember right. But uh, he he was the senior pilot for a lot of it, and between yeah. the two of us, we were taking on a lot of that role in the squadron. Where normally it'd be the front office right. mentoring guys, bringing them along. Yeah, but yeah. sometimes that was left to us to be yeah. like, hey, you know, you know, Groner used. I was Groner's pilot, and he used to be like, hey, Crunch. You yeah. need to go talk to this guy over here. And, you know, Groner's fantastic. I remember yeah. when Groner came to uh, VF 101 after, uh, you know, after his first deployment. He was an A6 guy. And I remember he was an A6D, A6s to F14Ds, and he's going through Top Gun in an A. And I remember literally the week before he, we're sending him out to Top Gun, he's talking on the radio how to get an alignment in the plane. And I'm like, oh, he'll be back in a week. But... <laughs> To Groner's credit, he figured out how to work an AUG-9, which I cannot imagine having never been in the back of, the, of an F-14A and just having flown a D and only, by the way, one deployment and doing as well as he did out there. But, uh, yeah, so Groner was at XL when, you know, after Slave Boy took over. And um, I should have given him my cell phone number. So guys get in the line. They have problems. They could just call me up because, you know, I get 2,500 hours in the A. I could have. Yeah. And bio, I agree because I, you know, my first 2000 hours were in an A. As a matter of fact, I didn't even fly the D until I was an apartment head. I didn't fly it in the rag because I didn't consider it a real F 14. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get oh, in and you're not going, a real F And then you get in and you're going, like, oh, oh. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, once you know the light comes on and you start flying the D, you realize that there should be literally to this day, there should be 300 of them out there right now. The, oh, t- it was 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It was absolutely the most lethal aircraft that CAG-8 had on the flight deck. That Scott, cruise. you can replay that every few seconds because our audience right. will love that. So yeah. That's right. Yeah. So we had – yeah, that's that's a great point. So we had – golly, how many airplanes were in each squadron? We had 11. We each had 11. I, we had 20, I, was there it 11? Yeah, we each had – we had one more than normal. Okay. Um, you know, the normal F-14 squadron, when there were two squadrons, had 10. But we had 11 because that's how many were left. Yeah. And I can also tell you that, you know, Crunch, you, you deployed in F-14s before. Um, and that was my fifth deployment in F-14s. Never do we have better F-14s. Not only were they Ds, but they were phenomenally maintained. We had That's everything. so true. Yeah, bio, hey. you can imagine. It's like no, fighter wing existed to provide us parts. We were the only squadrons left. So it's like, you need what? It's like, sure, we'll, we'll get it out. So everything worked on all, of, all 11 F-14s. They were all just pristine, you know, war yeah. machines. That's I can right. Hardly and, imagine and, oh, by the way, would we like, would be we'd yeah, be flying every single day. And so we yeah. never we would like you you would come back, you would shut down to download and upload ordnance, but then you'd get fired up again. Sometimes you would even hot switch into like these longer missions. And then you'd go blast off to a double tanker, triple tanker mission where you're flying six, seven I heard somebody did like an eight hour mission. I, I, think. I, used, I flew I logged a nine one and a nine four. Oh my God! I never did one that long. Yeah. My, my back hurts just thinking about it. Yeah. But uh, you know, you come back and you land. You boom, fire that thing up again, and as long as it's running, it's not breaking. And yeah. so I remember we had our cost per flight hour was lower than the brand new Super Hornets back at Oceana because we were generating so many flight hours <laughs> every single day between the two both squadrons. It wasn't like oh, it was my squadron because I was the maintenance officer. It no, yeah, it was. Yeah, it had nothing, honestly. And it had nothing to do with thing, any of the assholes or any of the people like no. that. <laughs> well, and, and by as you can imagine, uh, both both squadrons were stacked. It was uh, on the on the enlisted side. I mean, every wrench turner that had ever worked on an F-14, and they, they were as fiercely proud of flying F-14s and fixing F-14s as we were. Every one of them, you know, they wanted to be in those last squadrons. So, I mean, we had great chiefs. You know, our, our goat locker was fantastic. Our, That's right. Yeah, our enlisted our kids were the best maintainers there were. I don't want to cry, but in, in the uh, late 90s, when we got eight new senior enlisted, six of them had no F-14 experience. Yeah. And because, yeah. because you know, nobody cared. I mean, it was just like, you know, everybody was Hornet focused and stuff. Yeah. Anyway. Bio, we had 15 chiefs and 13 of them had come from the, grown up in the F-14 community. That's, yep. that's the way it ought to be. 
Incredible. Well, and you had you had Joe Seabold as your maintenance master chief, one of my favorite humans. He was my maintenance master chief in CAG or VF2 back in the Bullets. Um, but uh, we had Mikey Wheeler. We didn't even have a master chief. We had an E8, uh, Mikey yep. Wheeler. and Who was Twig in 32 with us. Yeah, and, and Twig's like, listen, we can get an E9. I go, Mikey's an E9 to me. He's fantastic. And yeah. he was. We thought he was going to – he never picked up nine, which was a crime. But he certainly served as our – our maintenance master chief, and he was fantastic. We had the best wrench turners in the, in I think, in the F fourteen history. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely amazing. We, you would, and I remember that uh, we even had a couple of things where sometimes you would have like that one airplane where man, we can't couldn't figure it out. I remember we had one where there was a flight control thing, another where there was a fuel thing, and you know, in previous cruises, that airplane probably would have been the hangar queen. It would have been the can bird where you cannibalize the heck out of it to keep everything flying. Not this time. We had we would send those things down to the hangar, and dudes would tear into them, fix them, and get them back on the flight schedule. So it was. It, I, I just remember it being so stinking effective. It was just such a great, great, great deployment. Great dudes, great sailors. I mean, it just it was just really, really good. Yeah. No, it was a fortunate time in history, as I like to say. It was. Uh, and I do think that it was it was bittersweet in the sense that I think everyone realized how lethal the F-14 was and that this was it. It, it didn't yeah. limp out by any stretch. Yeah. It, it roared out and was absolutely the war machine of choice on the flight deck at that time. Yeah. And we had switched from basically from the old days of the air, strictly air to air to now we were almost strictly air to ground. I mean, we right. didn't have AIM-54 on that that cruise. No. We had AIM-9 and AIM-7 for the air, air, air to air stuff. And we had nothing but air to ground ordnance. Not only, I mean, we were all, everybody was lantern. We had tarps. We had everybody going into an uh, uh, airborne ISR. We, I remember going, you'd go up, hit the Martina track up in northern Iraq and just yeah. go fly around Mosul for four hours, basically calling people on and trying to get helos in and out and stuff. It was just, you're always, you're always doing that was air to mud in support of the the troops on the ground. And, and I mean, every time you get airborne, you go in, uh, get up on J voice, check in with Kingpin and you're like, Hey, I got a flight of two F 14 D's. Where do you want us? Boom. Off you go. And you're going to go off and hit that kill box over there and go to work. And I just remember being, Always worked. Oh, I mean, what a lethal combination! All those weapon systems we had, and then we had the goggles on there. We had those. And the Erst. Don't forget and, the Erst. You haven't mentioned. Oh yeah, the Erst. That's right. We had Erst and all that. I was I an Erst king, man. I love that thing. I tell you, there were so many systems available to us that were working on those airplanes yeah. that I swear sometimes you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I had this tool. Yeah. I forgot I had that. I mean, holy amazing, God. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I I, I think having gotten been mentioned here is one of the best missions that we had is that we would clear routes for our guys on the ground. The lantern could find IEDs better than anything else out there. You could see a little hot spot on the road. I mean, you could tell miles away. And so we could stop convoys and go, Hey, I think you've got an IED, you know, 70 meters ahead on the right side of the road. And they'd send the robots out and they're like, yep, there it is. And so that was one of the more rewarding missions that we were able to do. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And that's just awesome. Yeah. Tomcats. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Well, and the other thing is just the pure flight hours. I remember uh well <laughs> I remember I had I had two months. Was it two months over ninety hours and two months over eighty hours? I'm gonna have to go look at my logbook and that is a I, lot of flight hours. It, it was amazing. I mean, as an airline pilot, you're like, Yeah, whatever, ninety hours, that's just a normal month, whatever. But uh it, 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 for it, a you're flying. guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, for some of not some for a FedEx dude. Yeah, all right. Well, for those of <laughs> yeah. us at American Airlines, eighty-five yeah. hours—that's that's a month, yeah. right? Uh, but <laughs> but it, but when you're flying F-14s, that's an awful lot of time. Because oh, by the way, we don't have a coffee machine, we don't have a meal service, and we don't have a bathroom. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you know, and if you a do have to, be a lot of piddle packs. And for those who aren't familiar, sometimes you know it's it can make a mess. You know, yeah. it's, it's obnoxious. <laughs> uh, 
we can, that's a whole okay. other bio. We, we're going right. to have to have a story time where we talk about it, the mechanics yeah. of the piddle pack. Um, yeah. but, Especially uh, in a dry suit crunch back in the 32 well, days. Well, yes, because oh, if you're wearing a dry suit, it's probably yeah. cold weather. And when there's cold yeah. weather, you know, it's like <laughs> was, a turtle, right? No, and, and so now you're trying to get that little guy. You're yeah. trying to get into the little Ziploc bag and then it goes yeah. over and it gets on your hands. And now you're like, I got to put the bag down here. And then you you know, and you're like, oh, my God, the next guy, you know, Puck's getting in the airplane after me. And he's like, Crunch was just in here peeing on his hands. And now he's touching the seat. I just right? spilled my mouth. Yeah. We, <laughs> my fingers. We had a Rio who uh, left piddle packs in the map case. Oh. You can train that out of them really quickly, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's very easy to fix. Oh. Uh, oh. oh, my that, God. That was, I'm, I'm not going to say which squadron it was in, but okay, yeah. never mind. Let's keep going. Were you maybe the XO and CO of the squadron? Was it me? No, I was the JO at the time. Oh, okay. Just, All right. Gotcha. <laughs> we, we just, sorry. We just thought it was funny. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, it's a. It is. Oh, yeah. I mean, middle pack. So yeah. the middle packs actually got better bio. So they went away from the cheese sandwiches and they started putting like jello in there. Well, and that's what we called them. We called them cheese sandwiches. And I actually. That's, right. that's what we called them. We grew up with cheese sandwiches too, but by the time we were in CAG 8, it, it, was, it was like those gel. And yeah, it, it was crazy. It really worked. It wasn't like the cheese sandwich, which was useless. Like, now, the fun, for, for everybody on YouTube, I'm going to bet money that Bio's got an old piddle pack on the bookshelf back there, don't you? Oh, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> you should go grab it and show everybody. I got one in my garage. Oh, it, it, I don't know how you guys get these things. Well, I, I just, you know, you know how I got it? It's, it's when they packed up my flight gear from VF31 or VFA31. Still and yeah. yeah, it's it's all in there. You know, it's it's a good point. If I go in my in my attic right now, there's yeah. probably a G suit up there with not only my a, 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 an with unused pedal pack, yeah. an approach plate. That's right. <laughs> hey, approach from- plates and a, and a pedal pack. <laughs> Southeast United States That's from it. 2005. This might right. still be good. Launch me. Good enough. <laughs> oh, I mean the, the stories that you guys have told already. Are, I mean, already make this episode, you know, I mean, this is why we do the F-14 Tomcast one. I mean, we told, we tell our guests, Puck, we tell you, don't sugarcoat it if there's bad things. But it, I mean, you guys were on those, on that last deployment, it sounds like so many things were going your way and the Tomcat community was behind you, supporting you. You know, I mean, when you take resources that are designed to support 10 squadrons and you aim them at two squadrons, that's it. Yeah, it's going to work yeah, out I well. Yep. Nailing that. And, and, that's, and when you, that's exactly. And, and if you wanted a part, they found a part. I mean, there was, they, they were, there were parts laying around. How much the parts cost? No, I don't. They were, were a they penny. Fun? No, I don't remember that. Everything was a penny. I don't remember that. Bio. That's <laughs> what, literally. So if you needed a, you know, a, a torque tube for a, a flap, you know, re- it was a penny. Everything was trying to the empty the stocks. They were trying, yeah, they're trying to empty the stocks, and everything had already been paid for. So they're like, okay, everything's a penny. So that is awesome. Cost yeah. per flight hour even goes yeah. down. Everything yeah. else. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, so when did you get back from the deployment? Uh, we got back in April. I'm sorry, March of 2006. Okay, because the reason I'm asking because the sunset was in September, I think. Right. Yes. Yeah. So we, we got back in March, uh, end of March of 2006. It might even have been the beginning of April. And when was and the I change of command? Change of command was in April. So as soon as we got back from deployment, uh, VF-213, our sister squadron, went to VFA-106 to start learning how to fly Super Hornets. Yep. Uh, gave away, you know, at that point, they'd given away all their F-14s. And that's when we became the last F-14 squadron. Was so there any gamesmanship or discussion or argument about who's going to be the last Tomcat squadron? Do you remember any of that? No, there that? wasn't because it was all – and that had been decided on the slate. I mean, so between yeah. the two of us, you know, we just supported each other as well as we could. There was yeah. a lot of folks in uh, VF-213 who were really unhappy that it wasn't them. And th- there, was a, there was a belief that it was a grand conspiracy against VF-213 that VF-31 got it. But uh, – it was so beyond, so above us. Yeah, yeah, no sure. kidding. Yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah. you know, and, and I recognize it. And I'm sure most of the troops did too. So it was. Um, so we came back. We had the change of command. Two thirteen started uh, training in the in the Super Hornet, and that's when we were the last F fourteen squadron. So, so, so every we squadron that gets back, I mean, you you know you're gonna, um, you know, your readiness goes down. You're not you're not the uh, alert squadron in case the world blows up and you have to launch. 
Did you well, actually? Guys, we were. Right? So that's what I was going to ask you. Did they tell yeah. you? Stay yeah, we were still surge. So we had to cover for two thirteen. So we, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, we were back on the carrier in June, recalling. So that's right. You guys, that's you amazing. guys had to go out and stay night current. We had to you? stay night current. So literally, uh, you know, a month after I took command, uh, we were starting to bounce again. You know, we we stood everyone down, took some vacation, re- yeah. recharged the batteries a little, standard post cruise stuff. But shortly after that, we had to get our minds right again, and we got rid of two of our planes. So we were down to nine jets, and this is where we started sending them off to museums. I think of my of the eleven jets, uh, seven of them went to museums, and four of them went out to Davis Monthan. So okay, you know, so you're in the front office, yeah, and you're managing this, you know, circus show of delivering Tomcats to museums and stuff. Did you find? Did you have a? Uh, a department head or somebody that you threw that off to, or your XO maybe, or did you? Mostly maintenance. My, my Mo took care of most of that. So okay. you know, he, he called. And you were you know, still able to be a CO. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, and I didn't micromanage it. I, I handled it the way Booger kind of taught me. It's like, I've been a Mo. If you want me to be a maintenance officer again, I can. But, um, and I think if this, it was either Chris Richard Limp or Charlie Brown, Scotty, who was a, another Top Gun bro. I think he was out there with you, wasn't he, Crunch? He was. That's right. Yeah. Um, I forget which one was my Mo at this point. I think it was Scotty, but, uh, yeah. Um, but whoever it was, they did a great job. It was, uh, you know, and my XO was interested cause he had, there was one plane that he was going to go to a museum near his hometown. And he's like, do you mind if I take it? I go, not at all. He's like, it's a 4,000 foot runway. I'm like, well, don't go off the end. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't, you know, it's like. One of the, it was approved by, you know, Air Lance, like, yeah, you can do it. And we had to talk about it and brief it and land light and everything. But, you know, 4,000 feet, it's not a problem. And, uh, you know, so that's, yeah, I, I didn't have a whole lot of oversight on that because I didn't need to. That's awesome. No, that reminds me of when I, uh, shoot, what was I? Oh, I was, I think it was a skipper at the time. <laughs> and we were delivering a plane to. I uh, you XO for, if you don't mind me asking who me? I was XO for uh, JD Oliver Jr. Okay, and my ex, he was a, a West Coast pilot, and my yeah. XO was Coconut. He's a FedEx guy. <laughs> He's a what? JD. Oh yeah, JD. Yeah, he yeah. just retired from FedEx. Oh, Fe- oh, FedEx. I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah. yeah, I believe yeah. that. Yeah. He's- yeah. And then my XO was a Coconut cohort. Oh, okay. Uh, look, Coconut's a great dude. Yeah, and um, but I went. We we had to deliver a jet to the uh, to the Northrop Grumman facility in uh, St. Augustine, and as we took trip. off as we took off from uh, Oceana, uh, as we're taking off, I'm trying to remember we got a flap light or something like that, and my pilot goes, "Huh, the f- I, either the main flaps or the aux flaps retracted, or we had some kind of failure," and we go, "Ah, we're taking it to." You know, so let's so we continued our flight, which was actually kind of fun. We flew over his father's cabin in the mountains, and we flew over my brother's house. I mean, at low altitude, because right. we're going like. So then we go to uh, land in Saint Augustine, and we only had partial flaps. <laughs> so I mean, when you say a four thousand foot runway, yeah. so he goes, yeah, oh, that wouldn't so work on a four thousand foot runway. No, so I, so they had like a six or seven thousand foot, I think. Yeah. I pull my natops out and I get, check our landing speed and everything. And it's like, I mean, we rolled to like two feet from the end <laughs> the of the brake. The brakes right. were, yeah. were smoking and everything. It's like, pff, just one more yeah. thing for them to fix, you know? Here are the keys. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and, were- you know, I'm the skipper, so he didn't have to explain it to anybody. So it's right. like- You didn't have to get any more approval. <laughs> it's approved. Go. Oh man. Okay, where were we? Oh, you're in your last couple of months. I am yeah. I'm, I'm kind of amazed. I'm surprised that they still had you guys on standby and operational. Yeah. I mean, but it makes sense. Yeah, we had to cover it. And so yeah, we spent two weeks out on the at sea, and uh that was the last time that F-14s did cats and traps. Um by the end of it, we had I think fifty over fifty reporters on the ship. Um Ah, so now the media circus starts. Yeah, and and Crunch was there. The, the media circus actually started on cruise. I mean, the, the last deployment, it, it wasn't bad, but you know, to be honest, bio, 
I know the Hornet guys were sick of it because the Tomcat guys were getting sick of it. But, you know, the last this, the last that, this is the last combat mission, the last night. It's like, okay, you know, it's starting to get a little old. And by the time we got to this final at sea period, it was, it, it had worn thin for just about everybody. So I, I was honestly, you know, as a CEO, the thing that you most frightened of is getting somebody hurt. Um, and that's, so I, I, you know, I, I pulled all the guys into a room and my like, guys, listen, it's going to be two weeks. We're going to have a lot of eyes on us. I go, but I just want you guys to manage your own schedules, make sure you're ready. And the boat will always kill you if you don't give it all the respect it deserves. And they, you know, I'm still proud of them because we, the only squadron that I was ever in bio that we didn't lose somebody was when I was CO in VF 31. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it was and that, that literally when I took over the day I took over, that's what I said. I go, I just want to give all the jets and all the people that I took today over to Opie here in 18 months. And I'm proud to say we were able to do that. That's interesting. Cause I, when I think back to my three squadrons and five deployments, we didn't lose anyone when I was in the squadron. So I feel uh-huh. very fortunate. Yeah, you're very fortunate. Yeah, we I, lost jets, but you know, no people. Yeah, no. Nah, unfortunately, I, maybe it was bad luck. Crunch? Did you lose shipmates? Yeah. Well, you probably did. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking. I don't. I, I we. I never lost anybody in the squadron. Certainly lost a bunch of airplanes, though. Yeah. Hey, you made. Yeah, you you showed up to 32 after we'd already lost Biff and Moon. That's right. I was sitting here. Well, it's funny you said uh, you said that you're know, like first squadron. I'm like, okay, let's think about 32. Well, who am I missing? Yeah. That yeah. was before we lost my time. Moon, and then I right. show up at VF 101. We lost Lurch, Logan Allen. You probably remember him. I do. I remember yeah. that. I yeah, I wasn't there for that and one. Then when I was in VF two, we lost Ernie and Stench. Oh yes, yes. So yeah, that's right. Here's to those guys. Yeah. yeah. Cheers. Amen Cheers. to that. Yeah, I. I think we all lost a lot of airplanes, but I never lost any people. Not my squadron, at least. I lost a lot of friends, but they were yeah. never in my squadron when it happened. Yeah. Okay. You want to shift gears? All right. Yeah, let's shift gears. Let's so talk about happier. something more fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Might so need to go get switched to the yeah. hard stuff if we keep this conversation yeah. going. <laughs> so how long did you guys have to keep up your readiness reporting and what kind of – what I'm thinking of – I mean, I don't really care the yeah. month, but I'm thinking about as the, the final flight – approaches and right. the squadron's getting ready to shut down. When did they say, okay, you can stop flying operational training and, and basically bio end of, end of July, we were done. Cause at that point we, we were down to eight jets and in, in like August one, we were flying two more away. So the last month we, you know, August, September, we only had four planes. So, so that's like six but, weeks prior. Okay. So, yeah. so you've transferred probably a lot of your, or have you started to transfer your air crews and your maintainers? Your yeah, guys? it was, it was, uh, I, I kept onto the guys I could. Um, it was hard because obviously we're getting rid of all our Rios. And so I'm losing half of my ready room. As a matter of fact, I remember having my first, after the transition, we'd gone through the rag you know, I'm fast forwarding here, a little out of order, but you know, the following year we were a VFA squadron and I, I we have an AOM and I am yelling at one of my JOs who's the, the duty officer, one of my favorite guys, uh, Rip Gordon, drama. And I'm like, drama, where the hell is everybody? And he's like, Skipper, this is everybody. And I'm literally, I look, I had one department head and I had six guys. I had seven people in my ready room that were, you know, pilots. And I'm like, all right, screw it. Let's just go to the club. <laughs> We're done. Great ALM. We're out of here. So it, it, as you remember, the, the fun and camaraderie of a F-14 ready room where you have yeah. you know, 25 to 35 different guys, and personalities, all yep. bigger than the next. Uh, to go from that to my wife's club, my wife, the XO's wife, and one of the department heads. Three wives. <laughs> that was the wife's club. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was it, it, it becoming a Hornet guy was not easy. It, it, there were a lot of growing pains. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, going to a single seat squadron with all you know what you're used to, to that was. So uh, that's so true, because every time you pull into port, you know, we as Tomcat guys, we'd show up. You get a you get a couple of hotel rooms, call it the admin. You'd show up. You'd bring your own party. You're like, yeah. hey, yeah. we're, we're here. 
you know, next thing you know, there's a there's a potted plant going out the window. Who knew, yeah. right? Yeah. And nobody needed that. No, nobody needed. It. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but on the, the Hornet guys, I mean, you show up at their their uh, their admins, and you're like, wow, there's nobody here. No, no, that's like you said, it's everybody not on duty. Everybody, like, yeah, oh, that's, that's yeah, two that's, thirds of the red room. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. Okay. Can I tell that's one fun. quick story before yeah. we get back to? Please. When you talk about the potted plant going out the window, it reminded me of something we did on my first deployment in uh, Waikiki. This one of my buddies and I were sitting there and somebody had bought a lighter and we had lighter fluid and we were trying to figure out how far down the lighter fluid would stay lit. So we put a pool of lighter fluid on the balcony. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> put a pool of lighter fluid on the balcony made it go over the edge and lit it on fire. And we're watching the fire. So then we look down on the street and we see people and they're counting what floor this mayhem is coming from. Well, you know, it's like 30 seconds later. Hey, what are you, guys, what are you talking about? These aren't the droids you're looking for. <laughs> they did not kick us out that time. Oh, that time. Okay. So what were some of the, so you talked about some of the, uh, the the transition issues going from Tomcats to Hornets. What about, I mean, the last few months in Tomcat land, in the world of Tomcats? Were there any surprises? Bad. Any surprises that were, you know, negative? And then we'll, we'll get into all the, uh, the happiness coming up soon. But The negative part was uh, losing touch with my troops because we ended up we, – we had to start farming our kids out to other – they were doing OJT basically. So, you know, my, my, my ADs were going off to another mech shop on the Hornet side and learning how to fix the little motors. Um, and I say that love, but you know, little motor and you know, my, yeah, my, my ATs were learning how not to run wires. It's like, you know, <laughs> way overqualified. So um, it, it was sad because I'd go down and I, you know, my troops were not there and my senior enlisted, some of them were there, but I'd lost, you know, they were off looking after the kids too. Um, at, you know, at one point I probably had 30 troops that were still in the VF 31 spaces. Um, you know, as they're learning how to, to fix super hornets. So that transition part started to get pretty hard because we, it, it was, it didn't feel very squadron esque. If you know if that was a word, and yet every time you get in a jet, you could still get killed. That's it, and that's what I explained to these guys. I'm like, listen, boys, we can't lose focus, especially because now we weren't we weren't staying lethal. We were just sport flying. So it was, you know, I, I did the home run derby all the all the baseball all star game home run derby flyover in my hometown in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, nice. it, which was a ton of fun, and I thought I was going to get in trouble for it, but we didn't. And, but th that was the sort of thing, like basically every air show, Fort Lauderdale, you name it, everyone wanted to with the F-14 for the last time. And so these, these six to four to two jets were everywhere. And it, as you mentioned, bio, you can certainly die in a flyby just as easily as you can anywhere else. And so I was like, guys, let's not. And, and I, I explained to them, I go, a lot of the legacy of the F-14 is on your shoulders. Now I go, let's not, mar what has been a remarkable history of a i think the the most iconic fighter the navy's ever had um by screwing it up at this point i go let's finish strong and, and be smart and so you know to their credit the guys took that message on board and, and executed appropriately let's well, yeah that's that's i tell you what it's really good Really good advice because you know you think about that. That's not the type of thing you think about a lot. Is hey, this just because I'm sport flying? That I mean, it's just as bad as combat. I mean, we probably lose more people in training than we do in combat, and it's I know we do. I mean, yeah. it's so it's so easy to imagine that that could happen, especially as you're in that sundown and you're thinking about hey, I need to um, I need to send this airplane to the desert, or I'm sending this airplane to a museum in my hometown with a 4,000 foot runway. And maybe you lose sight of that. And, and, you know, and part of that is, you know, that whole time you've got all these people like trying to get your attention. They're trying to get into your squadron and, and interrupt you and say, Hey, and now we need this fly off ceremony. Right. So talk, talk us through, we had, there, there was that event. I think we, we were probably all there at Oceana where we flew off that last airplane. Um, what tell me? Tell us what happened on that last one. If you so um, it was a bittersweet day for a lot of reasons. One was that um, 
the powers that be had decided that they were going to make the the F-14 that did the last flight, the, the ceremonial last flight. I, I, we're talking about the sunset, correct? Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, was uh, was going to have a generic paint scheme. So it didn't have VF-31 colors on it. It had a Tomcat patch and some Grumman stuff on it, um, which didn't sit well with the squadron, but it really didn't sit well with my, my maintainers, as, as you can imagine. They were fiercely proud. Um, we had won the Battle E. We'd won the Clifton. We had won the Arleigh Burke Award. We'd won the Golden Wrench. We'd won, I mean, we had, and Twig, in true Twig fashion, had all of those painted on our tails. So our tails looked like they were busy. I mean, we had a lot of awards. And there's a garage sale on that. Yeah, it was like, what did we, you know, we even put, we, we won the Blue M, and he insisted on putting the Blue M for medical readiness on the tail. I almost lost my mind when he did that. I'm like, really? I, yeah. I remember that. Dude, yeah. I'm like, the Blue M? Seriously? Yes, yeah, this <laughs> nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, that, that's not fighter aviation. But anyway, so this these generic paint schemes are scheduled to do the last flight. And um, unbeknownst to me, my – my, my maintainers, God bless them, had given me a couple of deniability. They have the sunset, you know, the, everyone's there, the mayor, my old you know, admirals are there. And the, the last F-14 is going to go take off and do the ceremonial last flight. Well, somewhere between the taxi and the hold short, that plane broke. And lo and behold, the spare was up and ready and full oh. VF-31 regalia. Oh, so, yeah. That took off with the generic Grumman and Tomcat logos was sitting there at the hold short when the VF 31 plane took off for the last sunset flight. And uh, I'm not sure a lot of people noticed, but I do know that my troops noticed, which is really all I cared about. Um, they were fiercely proud of that fact and very happy about it. And then my uh, MMCO, who is one of my best friends and I think the greatest maintainer that ever fixed an F 14 came up to me and then he filled me in on it. He gave me the backfill and he's like, Skipper, this is what we did. I go, wrench. That's what we, his call sign was wrench appropriately. He could yeah. fix anything. Um, I'm like, wrench, thank you. That was, that was awesome. Well, I was sitting in the stands and we all noticed that uh, it was a different airplane and it was a yeah, 31 I, airplane. So. And, and, you know, yeah. and of course there was some, I'm sure there were some snide comments. I'm like, it's natural they have a spare and that the Tomcat broke. It, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, I can tell you those were those were the best planes you'd ever flown. Everything on both of those jets worked perfectly. Oh, very yeah. cool! Great yeah. story. That, that's that's one. Yeah. That's another one that's going to get. Uh, yeah, that's right. That is revelation. That is. Yeah, I'm like, what's the, what's the statute of limitations on some of these things? I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Well, everyone in the story is retired, so. Yeah, that's right. What, what are they going to do? Right. Uh, but, it, but hey, so that wasn't the actual last flight, though. That was the ceremony that was not. Of the last flight. Right. Yeah. And uh, so Bio went into Wikipedia and he found the source of all knowledge that yeah. he found this statement it says the last F 14 flight occurred on October 4th, 2006, as Buno 164603 flew from NAS Oceana to Republic Airport. Uh, does that sound familiar? Does that, is that's that what you were That's all accurate. Wikipedia all right. is actually spot on on that. Wow. wow. Yeah. Bio, you hit the nail on the head. Well, that's and, like somebody put that on there. I don't know who did that, but yeah. And apparently, apparently that aircraft is now on static display outside of the former Grumman yeah. Aerospace Corporation yeah. headquarters in Bethpage, New York, where it all You know started. what? And that might be the one that was recently moved to Cradle of Aviation. I, I don't keep track of all that. It was. And actually, Crunch, can you pause it for a sec? Pause the, the recording? Yeah, can you stop for a sec? Because I actually have to get something. I, I, I forgot. A, there's something I want to show you guys. Okay, just go get it. Okay. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll yeah, yeah. Give me twenty seconds. Okay, yeah. take your time. Yeah. I thought he was going to tell us something he didn't want recorded. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, everybody reloaded, almost everybody. But also, when we took that break to get some stuff, I grabbed uh, my uh, flight gear bag off the uh, shelf behind me and listen to this. I mean, it, <laughs> it is. It's still full of pubs. Yep, IFR circle from uh, IFR team in there, nineteen ninety-eight. Oh, that's awesome! And then right in the outside pocket, easy to get to, is a piddle pack. <laughs> Ready to go. I'll let that's you it. 
with the directions. Don't forget that yellow, that yellow piece of paper. Those are the directions in case you're learning impaired. That's all. I always thought that was funny. Look, you have to get something. So let- I did. I don't want to anchor on piddle pack, So Okay. Yeah. Good point. So, um, yeah, on uh, October 4th, uh, for reasons that go beyond the podcast, I was not flying the last flight. And and we can talk about that offline sometime. But the guys that flew the last flight uh, were Chris Richard and Fitz Gentry, two of my department heads. Um, great guys. And, uh, you know, I, I selected them because I thought they were appropriate. Um, and again, bittersweet. I didn't get to do it. But what they did is so they flew up to Republic. And obviously there was a big crowd waiting. They were very excited. The people up there, we had been up, uh, I'm trying to look, I've got some on my wall from the event. They'd had a big event. We'd brought two F-14s up to Republic about two months earlier for a a Grumman celebration. And there were probably 15,000 people waiting for us to land. Oh, I believe um, it. To see the F-14. And the president of Grumman was there and I didn't know any of this. Um, you know, I was like, whoa. So uh, we ended up going to this event for two days and we were treated like royalty. It was a really special event. And I had an appreciation for Grumman, the history of Grumman fighters and, and naval aviation in particular. And, you know, the, the pride that the people in Bethpage had. But um, I got an even deeper appreciation. Those, those people up there really put their hearts and souls. You know, the Grumman Ironworks was a real thing. It was a living, breathing organization, and um, you know they were just so fiercely proud of that plane as they deserve to be. And when it came back, they were very emotional about the whole thing, and that that emotion fed onto the aircrew. Uh, but the, you know, a couple months later, we're back to bring the absolute last plane, um, and that you know one six four six zero three. I remember it like it was yesterday. Was one of our best jets. That thing was a horse. Every system on that thing. You know, again, I told you, all the planes were great, but this one was even better than most. Um, and uh, my boys, since I didn't get to do the flight, I don't know if you can read that, but it oh, says it's Wild Turkey Rare Breed, which is my favorite bourbon. And it says this bottle was flown on the, the, the last F-14 compact flight for October 2006. Nice. Just, That's okay. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I broke it open for my Rio uh, when Randy Stearns took command of 211. I, I opened that up, but um, it was a a lot of the guys had driven up. My maintainers drove up. We uh, fighter wing, well, strike fighter wing at this point had given us uh, funding to you know we we took up about 15 people in a couple vans and uh, received the wow. aircraft. Yeah, it was. It was really an emotional day. I mean, um, you know, as you're, as we shut it down, and I don't know how familiar you are with demilling the planes, but like the last thing that they do is they're shutting down the engines is they have to pull both fire bottles. So you pull the fire handles and you blow the bottles down the engines so that, you know, this plane can never be flown again. Like we delivered one down to Florida to snort and we're like, everyone was like, Make sure you blow those bottles or Snort will be in that plane tomorrow doing supersonic flybys in Miami. <laughs> we're like, you got it. So we were very careful. God rest his soul. But um, so we, you know, you, you hear that the engines wind down, then you hear them pull the fuel shutoff handles and the engines choke. And then you hear the bottles go down. And, it, you know, it's like pulling something off life support. You're just, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. This is the last time you're going to hear GE-110s roar in an F-14. And this is the last time that this plane will ever, you know, be operational. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit I cried. It was, you know, I didn't ball, but, you know, there was a tear. It was hard. It was hard to watch that plane get shut down for the final time and, and not realize what it had meant in my life. What the plane, the people that had fixed it, the people that I flew with, the people that had passed flying it. Um, you know, it just been a, such a significant part of my life. And then to see that chapter of it just come to an end the way it did. Um, it was a very emotional moment, but you know, it couldn't be in a better spot. They, the Grumman people, 
they took it and then we went up a couple months later to debt they, they had dedicated it and um you know they had a really nice monument out front and they, they you know it was right in front of the grumman ironworks where it was built which was absolutely appropriate and unfortunately bio as you'd mentioned kind of offline yeah, the, the Grumman has, has sold that facility to who knows what, probably some dot com. Um, but the it is now at the cradle of aviation in, in Bethpage. It's and, and uh, Bill Bardo, who's a old Grumman employee, great friend of mine, great guy. He was uh, just an instrumental uh, individual um, in getting all of this set up. Uh, just he, he messaged me the other day and told me that, hey, They've got the plane. They're taking care of it, which was good because Grumman, as they shrunk and it's, yeah. they hadn't done anything to that plane. Yeah, they they couldn't. Yeah, and right, and they couldn't. And you're right, but now it's in a, it's in the place that it, it belongs, and it's being treated the way it should be. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay, great. so so when that was done, was that when? I mean, when did you like sign your last disestablishment of VF thirty one or that whatever? was it. Yeah, we signed that flight schedule. When I signed that flight schedule and we came back. Uh, Did you have to send a message, a naval no, message or anything yeah, we like that? Send a message. But I, and now, and by, I'm, I'm sorry. I, it's actually, I'm not entirely sure because we got reflagged VFA 31. Oh, shit. I did, okay, sorry. Yeah. 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 Well, but I don't remember what that precise date was because I don't think that happened until we were safe for flight. So I thought we had to go through the rag and crunch. Maybe you remember this in 213. I, I don't remember, but I remember safer flight being a really big deal yeah. and taking a lot longer yeah. than I thought it was going to. Yeah. I, 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 I don't remember. And I, I think you might be right that that's when you became VFA. Yeah. yeah I, okay. I was, I was overthinking it. I forgot they converted to VFA. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we went, you know, I was in the rag. I was, I was in VFA 106 a month later, you know, going through CBTs again. And, you know, nothing like being an 05 going through the rag. Uh, but it's a it slightly was, different experience. It is a slightly time. different experience. Like I, that, that time won't work for me. It's <laughs> <laughs> better. I'll see you at noon. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bittersweet thing. And then, as I mentioned, I was able to keep some of my Rio's, in VF or VF one or thirty one, as we went through VFA one hundred six, so they were able to go through in my squadron until we. So I, I, I guess we were VF thirty one still going through the rag because I was able to keep those guys until we graduated from the rag and become a VFA squad designated VFA squad. And, and some of those guys, if I remember, had to go out to VFA twenty two out in the morgue. Oh then, yeah, I lost. Did Fitch go out there? And I think a couple other guys did too, right? Uh, Thumbs, Tauntaun, uh, Billy Frank. Okay, more uh, than I remembered. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, all. Yeah. Yeah, I'm proud to say I, seven of those guys became COs. Seven of my JOs ended up being COs. So wow, that's good. Guys, it was a remarkable class. Um, yeah, that's were, tremendous. Yeah, they are. And as a matter of fact, one's a skipper of VFA uh, 122 right now. Billy Frank. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Billy's skipper of the rag out in Lamore. Awesome. That's He's, pretty yeah. incredible. Yeah, they were – it was a remarkable pool of talent in the young – you know, the first cruise guys. They were really good dudes. Yeah. Crunch, I'm dying to ask this. Yeah, ask away. Puck, do you think there will be another Navy fighter squadron sometime? Huh. That's a loaded <laughs> question. Um, well, I don't know. See, I don't know how much you've – Think about that stuff. Oh, I think about it a lot. I mean, a lot of my friends are still, you know, either in or consulting, contracting, and still working in, you know, the skiff in Oceana. Yeah, and yeah. So, you know, we have high level. Well, you don't, you don't have to tell us what what they'll yeah. fly, but instead yeah. of a VFA, will there be another VF? Will there be a VF? Um, I think th- I I think there needs to be, but I don't think there will be. Um, I All think right. between. Unmanned vehicles. Yeah. See, I think, but I do, I think the fighter world is not prone to, to unmanned flight. I think, I think that's just, I think there, there needs to be a man in that equation. And honestly, being a two seat fan, I think there needs to be two people, especially with the the weapon systems that are out there today. Um, You know, as I like to say, two people in F-14 could be one and a half people, or it could be five people, depending on how well they got together. Like, when That's Abdul good. and I flew together, 
we were we were supersonic it was you know we we didn't talk we didn't i mean we just mind melded and it was you know like super action heroes in the plane um but if you flew as you know bio you're flying with a driver that you don't get along with or you just you know you yeah. don't communicate it or rio is a dirtbag whatever yeah because yeah. you know the, the and i'll say this as you know the the back of the ship is the great equalizer for everything it's like you know that you're going to weed out a bad driver because there's the boat but it it's very hard to weed out a bad Rio. Yes. Cause there's no, it's like, okay, he, he's just not good. Yes, it's like, at what point do you get rid of them? And I have always found that Rios are more critical of Rios than drivers are because they recognize it. The good Rios are like, we need to get rid of this guy. That's where, you know, all the guys that we ended up getting Phenab or phenophobed, uh, those were all generated initially generated by Rios. They're like, this kid's a dirt bag. He can't, he can't operate the back seat. And, as you know, an AUG-9 required some special skill to make that thing work. Yeah. And on the front seat, in the front seat, almost any time you had a time where you were like, okay, we need to evaluate whether this pilot is going to remain in naval aviation or not, almost without fail, it was because something happened at the boat. It was, it was no, not, could, it was never because the rendezvous was too hot no, was, or they couldn't never rendezvous or the fact you couldn't fight your way out of a wet bag. I mean, it was, nope. it was the boat. If you could land on a ship, you were going to be yep. able to stay in naval aviation, which I That's think right. is unfortunate by the way, because as I, you know, one of my favorite CEOs said, our mission isn't to come back and land on the ship guys. That's administrative work. Oh, I, He's like, our, our mission is to be kill a, people and break shit. When I was in VF2 and our landing grades weren't that good, our uh, our XO was a, a pilot, and he goes, "They don't call us landing squadron two. Right. That's and, and Bio, you're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you the only reason I ended up being I worked hard to be a good ball flyer. I mean, I wasn't a natural at it, but I ended up being a you know a, was so I could make fun of it because it's a lot easier to make fun of landing if you're in the top ten. Yeah. If you got a sleeve full of top ten patches and you go, hey guys, this isn't that important. They listen to you. If you're if you're just a plumber and you're saying this isn't that important, it's like, well, it's because you suck at it. Yeah. But I would say that all the time. I'm like, guys, I had a sleeve full of them. I'm like, you know what, guys, I want you to be safe. I want you to be safe, but I also want you to land on the first try. I don't, you know, I, I do not need to see you doing loops around the ship as we're burning up gas and wasting time as the ship's steaming into the wind. I go, so land safely the first time. That's all I'm asking for. You throw me a bunch of fair two wires, I am thrilled. I mean that you know it's you, all right. So you're throwing a stitch every now and then with your okay, but you know I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. What I don't need is a, a 75% boarding rate and you know some of the other crap. So yeah, I, cool. I absolutely agree. It's like we're not a landing squadron, we're a fighter squadron, and people would lose that, especially on the driver's side. I, I mean I, I know guys that like landing. I'm like landing is the last thing we need to be worried about here. We're gonna we have six hours over Iraq. Get your mind right. So fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So let's wrap this up. What are you doing nowadays? I know the answer, but for everybody else. Uh, I am <laughs> with a bunch of other F-14 brothers at FedEx. Happily <laughs> moving boxes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Flying rubber dog shit out of yeah, Hong yeah, Kong. Really, I, you know, <laughs> so we got an early look at, at Top Gun 2. And so yeah. I'm there with Abdul and, and Lou Shager and be, you know all my friends. The, the one down here in Virginia Pop Beach Power. where yeah, you went one, down? Yeah. Oh, I missed that because I was out of town. So guess who's there? The CAG from Top Gun 1 is a cigar smoker, the rubber yeah. dog shit. You're kidding. Bio. No, Bio, he was there. And he looks great, by the way. Sounds nice. identical. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah. there. I have a picture of you know sitting there with him. And, and we you know he does a line. It's like, you know, I go, ironically, he's like, what are you doing now? I'm like, ironically, I'm flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. <laughs> he starts <laughs> laughing. And I go, and so is that guy. And so is I, mean, I look around. There's like six FedEx guys standing around. I'm like, this guy, that guy. And uh, it's good. So it, yeah. it's, it's, it's and you know what? <laughs> No people. It's like there's a disturbance support animal in sight. It's, you know, it's very laid back. So that's what I'm doing. It's been great, though. I'm Sounds very good. happy to be part of the company, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Man, Puck, this, Crunch, I think you're right. I think we have uh, accomplished our mission. And, and Puck, let me just tell you, you, this was great. Crunch and I were talking about it, and Crunch goes, oh, yeah, Puck's got it. He's going to take us there. So this was <laughs> really good. You did a great job. Appreciate and, that. Uh, Thanks for Thanks. spending the time with us. 
No, gentlemen, it was it was an honor to be on your show. I, I love following you, and uh, it's it's nice that we have a shared passion and what I think is still the most iconic fighter in, in Navy history. Awesome. Yeah. Well, Puck, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. And to everybody out on Tomcast world, thanks for joining us for the F-14 Tomcast. Come back in another two weeks. We're actually don't. Actually, we do have one more after this one, but we're going to wrap everything up. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Cool. You've been listening to the F-14 TomCast, part of the Air Combat Experience, brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at F14TomCast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101, extension 3. That's 877-622-4101, extension 3. For updates on this podcast and our other military aviation-themed shows, Visit BVRPro.com and follow the Air Combat Experience on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.